0: message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read one verse from Galatians 5 and then we'll touch on it again later on very much in my mind this morning is the theme really of being in union with God and what that means. And just the revelation of that and the effect of that is going to have on this community, on this city, on this nation, the revelation of union with God. Because this nation really has only really had a demonstration of religion for many, many years. And religion really speaks to the self and the self-life. The gospel speaks to what Christ has done. And what he has done is almost beyond belief. In fact, we need the Holy Spirit to believe it. Here's a very powerful verse. Look at this. Galatians 5 and verse 14. Galatians 5 verse 14. It says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Wow. The entire law is fulfilled if you can keep this one command. Are you ready? Here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you can do that, you don't need religion. If you can do that, you don't need the law. Can you do it? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you can only love your neighbor as yourself, well, the Bible says, I think it's in Galatians 5.23, against love there is no law. I want to speak to you this morning really about the connection and the union between goodness and love between even obedience and love. There's nothing you can do apart from love that's going to profit you anything. Our experience growing up in this world really has been that we have found in not knowing about God, we have found it so easy to sin. I haven't found it hard to sin. But I have noticed that there is one experience where people do find it hard to sin. Parents Find it hard to sin against their children. I think of that verse again. The entire law is fulfilled in this one command: love your neighbor as yourself. See, for each of us, the closest we get to that is our children. They are literally our own flesh. It's very hard to imagine a mother or a father sinning against their children. In fact, sometimes in the news you have court cases of a mother or a father who've. who've who've done some terrible thing to their child that it makes all the headlines because it's so unusual. It's so against really everything that we know to be true. So it's hard for a mother or father to sin against their own children, for they love their children as themselves. So you see, apart from love, there is no true obedience. Apart from love, there is no obedience. You think, how far would you go to be obedient to God? How far would you go to be a good person? How about this? How about you give away everything you own to the poor? Would that make you a good person? Okay, how about a double whammy? How about you give everything you own to the poor and you give your body to the fire? You sacrifice yourself. How about that? Would that make you a good person? Can anybody remember the scripture I'm referring to? 1 Corinthians 13. Even if you give all your goods to the poor and your body to the fire, if you do it without love, it profits you nothing. You cannot separate love from obedience. Now, this is very powerful because when we come into a revelation of the love of the Father, you will find yourself to be more obedient accidentally than you ever were on purpose in all your striving to be a good person. The entire law is fulfilled in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. It seems that then, really, apart from love, there is no good. Would you agree with that? Apart from love, there is no true good, not as God is good. Now, there are various levels of good. People will say, oh, he's a good person, she's a good person, but they can't say that they're good as God is good, apart from the love of God. Why? Because God is never apart from his own nature and his own nature is love. So, if I don't have the love of God, I can do what I want to do, but I am not good as God is good. I may look good in the eyes of people. I may look good in the eyes of religion, but I do not look good to God, because the only thing that looks good to God is God. You cannot separate good from God, good from love. I want to tell you a little story, which I believe I've told before, but there's something very powerful about it. This is a true story, and I heard this story about a, a man who lived in, the, I think he lived in the bog side, and this poor man was an alcoholic, and he'd lost everything. He'd uh, estranged himself from his family. He'd lost all his possessions. His b- behaviour meant that people had basically just walked away from him, and he ended up living in the streets. And, and you know, and he, he looked terrible. He stank to high heaven. People literally stepped over him, you know, like he was a piece of rubbish because that's the way he treated himself. That's his opinion of himself—that he was just rubbish. And then there came a moment when a, a Christian man befriended him and took pity on him. Somebody, a Christian, should, of course, see people through the eyes of Christ. So this man looked upon him and saw his value, saw his worth as a person, saw that nobody should live like that. So he began to befriend him, and he shared the gospel with him. And um, in fact, he got him to a doctor. This man was in a bad way. His liver was, was really wrecked uh, with alcohol abuse. And eventually, got him into Alton and Galvin Hospital. And um, while he was in the hospital for several weeks, it became obvious that the man couldn't make it. He was going to die And so, they sent for the only friend they could reach, which was this Christian man. This Christian man turned out to be in Switzerland at the time. He was at a conference. But on hearing that the man was dying, he canceled his appointments and he flew back early. Now, I don't remember all the details, I don't even remember what happened next. But one detail I remember, that apparently, for the 48 hours it took for that man to come back, the little man in the hospital bed told every single person who came into his room, you know, there's somebody coming from Switzerland to see me. I can't believe it. Somebody is coming from Switzerland to see me. Suddenly, he just got a revelation he was worth something. Somebody had given him worth. You see, and that's life. Somebody had treated him and given him his true worth, and in receiving that, in having been demonstrated to him what he was worth, he began to believe it. He began to believe that, yes, maybe he was worth something. And see, that's what the love of God does. The love of God demonstrates what God thinks of us, who he believes us to be. So the cross, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is God's way of opening men's eyes, and I mean men and women, to their true worth to their true self. We read that in Colossians this morning about put on your new self, your true self. And that's what that revelation of our worth does. It enables us to see ourselves as we've never seen ourselves before. When we see that Jesus didn't just travel from Switzerland, he came from eternity to you and I, to make his home with us, in us. We can see that. Even as Stephen shared that scripture this morning, just to people to see a wall being completed brought a tremendous fear of God on people, you know? People could see us living as if we were complete in Christ, have an amazing effect on people because it reveals the love of God in us, and that is his very nature in us. Do you know that we're called to be partakers of the divine nature? That's what Peter said. We have such a high calling, and I make no excuse for speaking to myself and speaking to you According to this extremely high calling, because if you treat people in a certain way, they'll eventually begin to change their mind and live that way. That's why many people live as that man lived, feeling worthless, feeling useless, because that's the way people have treated them, as worthless and useless. And they have believed that. And as a man thinks, so he is. So to be born of God, to be born again, is to be born of the truth That we were never created to be alone, but we were created for God, to be indwelt by him. Now I know how I have lived alone, apart from God, in the past. And I know how even today my life drops if I come under any teaching that seems to convince me that God has once again separated himself from me. And now I am alone again. You know what happens? I begin to live again as a self. You know how selfs live? They live selfish lives. That's how a self lives. Myself alone, myself apart from God, has always lived a selfish life. Dogs bark, cats meow. Selves live selfish lives. The gospel is the cure for the selfish life. For when you can see and believe that God has reconciled you to himself and placed you in him and him in you, it is very difficult to lead a selfish life because your spirit is one spirit with him. So apart from God's spirit, we live selfish lives. Now, most of us may not physically stagger as it were around in the gutter, stinking to high heaven like our friend who had no value in himself. Too much pride for that. But in our thoughts, we can stagger around in the gutter. In our attitudes to people, we can stink to high heaven. And sooner or later, our lives will reflect the way we think. It'll come out in our reactions, you know. Very often we think, oh, nobody knows what I really think. Wait till a crisis comes. Everybody will know what you really think. Because it comes out on our lips. Religion's answer to the self life, then, is to exhort it to try harder, to reach the heights of the Spirit. Religion points men to themselves, and that's why religion doesn't work. For yourself can never be your hope, because yourself is your problem. That's the root of all your problems. Sin is separation of self from God, it's the separation that's our problem. As a self, you can never be good as God is good. Why? Because God is not a self. He never has been a self. He has never been alone. He's always been in communion. God never said, I will make man in my image. He said, come, let us make man in our image. And so through the body of Christ, God has reconciled the selfish world to himself so that God's way, God's life, Christ, as it were, will be our life. We no longer have to live alone, a selfish life, but we can begin to live from and in communion with God. And that's what Jesus meant when he spoke about being born again. To live from the truth that God is not a God who has withheld himself from man, but he is a God who has opened his arms and given man everything he had. If man is willing to receive and live in union with God. Not everybody is. Quite a shocking thing, really. The Bible says some people don't want to. They love being by themselves in the dark. They love the deeds of darkness and therefore will not come into the light of union with God. But God is patient. Here's another very key scripture. Turn to John 15. And again, underline this one in your Bible. You know it very well. Everybody here could say it off by heart. But there's a key in this that I believe is fundamental to living the Christian life, the life of communion rather than the self-life. So this is John 15, verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If you remain, all we've been doing this morning and every morning is preaching, remain. Remain. Christian, remain. Do not let religion, do not let philosophy take you out of where he placed you in communion with him. Remain. Remain in that mindset. On your worst day, when you think everybody's abandoned you, when you should feel sorry for yourself, when you feel that nobody cares and nobody's praying, somebody is praying for you. Christ is praying and Christ is with you. Remain. Remain in that mindset. That should be the object of all good preaching, to see Christians remain in the place, the high place that they were placed. For if they remain there and live from there, the world will see Christ. The world will see the generosity of God. And the generosity of God causes men to change their mind about God, to repent, as it were, of their thought that I can live my best life by myself. Here's another way of saying that. The root of a thorn bush cannot bear the fruit of a pear tree. That's pretty simple, isn't it? If the root of a thorn bush can't bear the fruit of a pear tree, then a self-root cannot bear the fruit of a communion root. You keep thinking of yourselves as apart from God. As a man thinks, so he will be. Don't expect to bear much fruit of being in communion with God. If you continue to sit under a religious message, that keeps separating you from God in your mind and tells you that if you do X, Y, and Z, you can one day get back to being with God. We were in Crowpatrick on Friday. There is a sign at the bottom that says, you know, if you say this number of prayers in this order and walk this number of times around this place, then you can get closer to God. That is not the gospel. Here's the gospel. God reconciled you to himself. His blood is what brought you near to God. Not your work, not your effort, and certainly not your religion. That will separate you from God. We live in one of the most religious countries in the world for generations. Generations. You know now it's looked upon as one of the most liberal countries in the world. The laws that have been passed keep separating people from God, and you know what? Eventually they'll live that way. They'll live as selves, mere religious selves. But you know what? Even religious selves, perhaps particularly religious selves, live selfish lives. And then you take a decision based on what is good for you and not good for us. And that's the way our country has gone, under religion. The only thing in our lives that bears fruit of God is that which is joined to God. I'll say that again. The only thing in our lives that bears fruit of God is that which is joined to God. In whatever part of your thinking, you're joined to God. You're bearing fruit in that part of your thinking. (laughs) In whatever part of your life, you don't feel joined to God. I can assure you, you're not bearing any fruit of God. Because God is a God of communion. God is a God of union. If you will not accept Christ as having reconciled you to God, then you can only ever think of yourself as apart from God. And you can only ever be apart from God. And you will die apart from God. If there's anybody here who does not know then listen to the gospel. God reconciled you to himself by his blood. The way is open for you to receive Christ, to receive him, to be in union with him. But he will never force that on a person. He will just ask his church to declare the most magnificent, generous gospel, that there's a good news, such good news, no man has ever heard. I think that's the way the gospel is described in the book of Acts. Has any man ever heard such good news? You're not under religion. That God is such a generous father that he himself was in Christ on that cross, reconciling the world to himself. For God so loved the world. doesn't say he so loved the church. He so loved the world. We'll come back to that later. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is not seen in a life that's dominated by religion or philosophy or any teaching that claims that you can be a good person apart from the only one who actually is good. For such teachings keep pointing you to yourself, and so keep you in self-thinking. And that sort of thinking cannot bear the fruit of God, because God's never thought that way. He's never been a self-alone, has he? That's why biblical faith cannot be of yourself. This is some good news about faith. Have you have ever been told, oh, you should have more faith? I wish you had more faith. Listen, biblical faith cannot be of you. It must be of God. Listen to the Scripture, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Your faith is not of you, it is the gift of God. Why? That no man should boast. Religion is boasting. Faith cannot be of yourself, or else you could boast in it. A believer is someone who has been joined to Christ as a branch is joined to a vine, So any good thing in my life, any good thing in my life, including faith, must be his faith in me, not mine alone. Your faith is not your personal possession. It's Christ in you. It's his spirit in you that imparts faith. This is beautiful. Let's think about it a little bit more. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2 and 20. You're familiar with this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, some of your Bibles, in fact, even the New King James, changes the word of to in. So your Bible may well say, we live uh, by faith in the Son of God. That's true as well. You absolutely do. We absolutely do live by faith in the Son of God. But where did that faith come from? You? No, Where do they come from? Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. So just as a fruit is connected to the vine by the branch, so faith is connected to God by his word. It comes by his word. And I've said all that to make a point. If the only thing in our lives that bears fruit of God is that which is joined to God, which is of God, then can you see that we can only have God's faith through being joined to God by his word? It's his word. It's his word. Do you hear Jesus speaking to you? If you haven't for a while, get alone this summer. Hear his voice. Hear his voice. That's the branch that brings the fruit from the vine. It's the word of God. Each of you here this morning who are born again, there came a moment when you heard God speak to you There are many days you come to church on Sunday and you go away thinking, that was a great message. It was a great message, but you didn't really hear. Not in the way you once heard. I believe God opens our ears that we get so excited because we can begin to hear him addressing us in a way we've never done before. Because our eyes have lifted and we've come to a higher place where we're beginning to understand our real name in Christ. It's Phalem in Christ. It's Angela in Christ. It's Mary in Christ. Ashok in Christ. So when he speaks to us, he calls us Phelim in Christ. My middle name is Lawrence. I have another name too. I'm actually Lawrence Joseph. If I went down the town and somebody said, hey, Joseph, I wouldn't turn around. That's not the name I answer to, you see. I answer to Phelim. Well, the Lord doesn't call me Lawrence. He calls me Phalem. He calls me Phelim in Christ. And by the Spirit, he's teaching me how to respond to that name, how to know that name. The more I come into this revelation of who I am in Christ, the easier I find it to hear from God. And the easier I see that a lot of the things I thought was God isn't God at all. It's merely a religious spirit. It's merely that old, come on now, try harder. You're not doing so well. Look how high the mountain is. If you tried a wee bit harder, you'd eventually get to the top. That's not the gospel. Here's the gospel. He placed you at the very top. Praise the Lord. Did you see Nicola after the worship this morning Try to get down with the guitar? (laughs) God doesn't want us bound by the effort of trying to be a good person because all you're trying is getting up the nose of your family who feel sorry for you, who sometimes see that you're more bound in religion than than you can see. I really feel, you know, I was chatting to someone about this uh, yesterday. Uh, You know, sometimes you may well have family here And you've been praying to them for years. And you know, it may strike you at some point that your family have sometimes looked at you and felt sorry for you. Poor old Nicola. Stuck in religion. Poor, thank God. You know, they've really felt sorry for you. You know, I want to get to a point where my freedom and my liberty makes them sorry they're not a Christian. Not the freedom to sin, the freedom from sin. And let me explain how that works. The only thing in our lives that bears fruit of God is that which is joined to God. His word joins me to His faith. We no longer have to think of ourselves the way religion taught us to think, as selves apart from God, separated from Him, living the only life a self can live, a selfish life. We can hear and believe the gospel that God has reconciled us to Himself, that our sins no longer separate us from God in order that we may now live as those filled with and in communion with and led by the Spirit of God. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So what God wants in this nation is for there to be a demonstration of sonship because for generations we've had a demonstration of religion. And religion doesn't change people because you can't change yourself. You could be a good person according to religion, but that's not good like God. You know how good God is? He loves his enemies. Have a look around Ireland. Can you see many of those sort of people about? What are we known for all around the world? Remembering what they did to us? That's where religion has left us. But this is the grace of God, that you and I would love our enemies. And we have an opportunity to demonstrate that before this generation. And that's what the faith of Jesus does in us. It persuades our hearts so much of who we are that we can live free from fear and condemnation and selfishness, because that's how Jesus lived. Jesus had the faith of Jesus, <laughs> okay? The faith that Jesus had meant that his heart was absolutely persuaded of who he was. He never had a one bit of darkness. In him, there was no darkness at all, no self-life, no selfishness, because he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was utterly convinced of who he was. For that reason, he could not come under religion or the accusations of the devil, so, when the devil said to him, Well, prove who you are. Jesus said, I don't have to. I'm convinced. If you're not convinced, that's your problem. I know who I am. And I only do what my Father says to do. He lived in absolute communion. And Jesus was showing us how we were to live and how we can live when His life, such a persuasion is in us. When your heart is persuaded, as Christ was persuaded, Jesus said, You will do even greater things than these, He said to His disciples. There is a persuasion that comes under the gospel. It will not come under religion. It comes under the gospel of what Christ has done. And when we are fully persuaded, then the life of Christ begins to show forth in our life. His joy. His joy. His joy. How joyous is Jesus today? How joyous is the Father? Heaven is not a somber place today. Heaven is full of joy because heaven knows that Jesus Christ has done enough. Heaven knows it's all going to be okay. Every tear has been wiped away. That's not just a cliche. It's in the Bible. Okay? No matter how painful it's been. No matter how painful the journey. When you get there, every tear is wiped away. There's no crying. There's joy. There's joy because there's pure revelation. There's pure truth. And when you see the truth, you cannot be but joyful. The joy of the Lord is your very strength. It's Your very strength as a believer. Today, you and I are as strong as the joy in our lives. And that joy is as strong as the revelation that this gospel is true, that God has made his home in us. And the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is now living in us. And we are called to commune with that spirit, to live with that spirit. That's why it's important to come together as a body, you know, because we commune. We practice communion. We practice being with like-minded people of the God kind, those who are God's kind now, God speaks to such people. I want to be around people who believe they're the God kind because they hear from God. And hearing from God changes everything, as every person in this place knows. Hearing from God changes everything. You're set free from what people think of you. Many of us for years were in bondage to our families, what our families thought of us, what our communities thought of us. If you're a believer here today, you are free from the opinion of your family and from your own opinion and from your own failures and from your own record Your record was taken and nailed to the cross. You don't have a record. You have the life of Christ as your record before God. If you're wondering, why don't I hear from God? Because he's using your new name. He's speaking to you as in Christ. He speaks to you as if you're holy and blameless before him. So he says to you, why are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? You're not naked with me. I have covered you. I have given you my glory. Praise God. Let's talk a little bit about this. Sin is separation from God. We've said this before. Sins are the branches of a root called sin. Sin, our fundamental problem of man, is his separation from God. Jesus Christ came and took an ax to that root. He reconciled man to himself. So now, having done that, when you receive that word, when you live in the truth of your new root, as Colossians said this morning, put on your new self. When you begin to think from that new root, the branches begin to die. Jesus cursed the fig tree, but it didn't die till the next day. Okay? You can get born again, you can receive the truth. Don't be hard on yourself that suddenly all these bad habits haven't disappeared overnight. They're dying. They're dying. Keep drinking in the truth, keep being connected to the root of communion, and you'll find they'll die. They'll die. I noticed coming into church this morning, there's a massive great ragwort weed growing behind the fence. Did anybody else see it? <laughs> we went around putting the weed killer around, and we didn't go behind the fence. And now there's a ragwort about four foot tall sitting behind the fence. So I says to Nicola, I know how to get rid of that. My grandmother taught you. You never cut the head off a ragwort. Isn't that right, farmer David Butler? You've got to pull it up by the root or else it'll come back again. There's no point going around trying your best to stop sinning for the next 10 years. You've got to deal with the root. And the root is that you are living as if separated from God. You are not separated from God. You have everything you need today to do what you need to do. And what provision you don't appear to have, you will have it in the day that you need it. Now live there, and you will stop making decisions out of fear that are getting you into trouble. Praise God. That's the the joy of communion with God. He's a good father. He's a good father. Okay, I'm going to skip to the very end of this message. I'm going to skip three pages To get to the good bit at the end. I was thinking about this love of God, you know. And how Jesus demonstrated the nature of God. You see, the nature of God is quite astonishing. I don't know anybody else like this. Do you know anybody else who loves their enemies? The Bible says that's his nature. His nature is love. And this is how he demonstrated his nature. When you and I were his enemies, he died for us then. That's how he demonstrated his type of love. He loves his enemies. So sometimes we like to paint the uh, Pharisees and the scribes as the bad guys and the Romans, and they get what they deserve, you know, and they get the wrath of God. Do you know that God loved those people? Jesus loved the Pharisees. Do you know he loved the people who were stabbing him to death on the cross? That's why he said, Father, forgive them. Because I know them. I know they don't know what they're doing. They, They have no revelation of you. They're living a selfish life. I thought about Pontius Pilate, and I'll close with this. Pontius Pilate had many men stand before him who were condemned to death, and he had the power of life and death. And some men he condemned, and some men he let live. And yet when Jesus stood in front of Pontius Pilate, Pilate was really disturbed. He was really, he'd never been more disturbed by anyone who stood in front of him. In fact, if you look at, I think it's John 17, you'll see he tried his best to get Jesus off. He really did try his best. Because he got used over the years when men stood before him to sense from them hate. And to sense from such a man fear. But he had never, ever sensed love from somebody standing in front of him who he was about to condemn to death. And that really disturbed him. If we want our families and our enemies to know Christ, they must sense from us the love of God. They must sense love and compassion. And for years, many people out there have not sensed that from the church. They have sensed judgment, criticism, and condemnation. I cannot love my enemies, but by the grace of God, by his love in me, I can. His love in me, his love, his faith, his life, allows that manifestation of a love that loves your enemies. And when this nation begins to sense that sort of love, then you will find that the sort of people who come to church will not be people in a suit and tie who've got their act together. It'll be people who are absolutely broken. Absolutely broken by their own selfishness. And are ready for love. They're ready for a message that communicates to them that their worth is more than they have ever asked or imagined. That their identity is better than any selfish identity that this world can ever offer anybody by accumulation of stuff. That is the power of the message that we have in us. Now, if that message can be activated, if I can begin to live that free from condemnation and fear, that when I am around my family, let them be jealous of my freedom from sin and not them feel that I should be jealous of their freedom to sin. Because freedom from sin is real freedom. Because it's freedom from fear and it's freedom from self. And it's freedom to be your genuine self, your true self. The self that God give grace from before the foundation of the world that you and I would be. Us and him united. For we were never designed to be alone. And That's why the world falls apart. We were designed to be in Christ and with Christ. Never alone. I am at my worst when I am alone. When I go on holiday, I'll be at my best if Nicola is with me. If I'm with someone, it'll be a high point. I'll send you some selfies of me with someone. I won't send you a selfie of me by myself. God says, don't live a selfie life. We're living a communion life. A communion life. And that's going to develop as the years go on. That's going to develop more and more between us here. That we would share our lives more and more. you know, And that as we live one life, that would speak to people out there as well. Father, we just thank you today for your spirit and your word and your faith and your love that you have shared what you have with us for that's what your love does your love shares your love gives your love is open-handed not closed fist your love lord has given everything and there is nothing more left to give and now lord we just thank you that your holy spirit is opening our eyes to how rich we are that we would live amongst our families, amongst our communities as the most blessed people on the face of the earth, for we can see that the wall is complete. We can see that the work is finished. We can see that the devil is beaten. We can see that lies have no power over people who know the truth. Father, we just declare that proclamation of truth into our own lives and into the lives of our family. At this season we'd be in such rest that people would look at us and be jealous for the rest and for the joy that they see your life in us. We declare this in Jesus' name.